Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Welcome back to another episode of Main Street Firefighting, a podcast by Fire Engineering. My name is Lex Shady, and with me is my partner, Chris Tobin. Before we get started, we'd again like to thank Fire Engineering for the opportunity and you all for tuning in. Tonight, we're joined again by Chief Joe Pernesti from Elyria Fire Department. We discuss assessing risk and understanding how age can affect a building. We hope you enjoy the conversation. So thanks again, Chief, for coming back and talking with us again tonight. Um, we always enjoy your perspective. You work in a city full of old buildings, so you you know what's up. Um, but we just kind of want to discuss with you tonight uh, kind of the risks associated with these older buildings. And, you know, you and Chris and I both talk and teach about them. And a lot of times in the conversation, we talk about how they're kind of inherently safer and less risky than some of the quote unquote modern construction and you have more time in them before they start to deteriorate. But tonight we're going to kind of talk about the opposite of that and kind of where we might um, over time start to see the modern construction be safer and kind of get your thoughts on how some of that goes. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, sometimes both types of buildings have kind of morphed together and it can cause a lot of a lot of confusion tactically on the fire round. So I'm looking forward to, to discussing with you guys tonight. Yeah. So um, jumping real fast here, this is kind of something that comes up at work quite frequently. Um, and I'm sure where you work too, just where we work in uh, the, the Midwest in mid Atlantic, very um, heavy amount of masonry, unreinforced masonry building stock. So, you know, historically we've always said, um, those departments that work in that kind of environment have the more aggressive tactics because our environment allows us to operate that way. And that is true. So at what, at what point does that start, that paradigm start to shift and kind of, are we, are we in that era now with these older buildings to where they start to become the, the less safe environment and the lighter weight construction starts to become the safer option. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a very broad question, but it's something that I think if we don't realize that we're a frog in boiling water, it's going to really start to catch us off guard if we don't start to consider the future of where the building stock is going. Yeah, I think it all starts with what we understand today when we talk about a modern building or a type that's just consider a type two non-combustible building or a big box is that I think firefighters have adjusted their tactics accordingly to where, you know, there aren't as many risks. Uh, if you have a, a, a commander that is worth their weight, um, as far as knowledge and, and command and control, that you're using big streams, you're reach, using the reach of your streams. You know that if the fire progresses to a certain size, it's, it's a loser, and, and you're you're basically you're backing out. Um, if, and but as far as so, I think that when we say it's safer, I would say that it's safer because it, we have hit home so hard 
the modern construction and the open space. And then when we start talking about a legacy building, I think it goes both ways with me. I, I think that there are a lot of fire departments that still do not quite understand how to fight a fire in these buildings. And I also think that many fire departments, uh, not to be critical, just what I see, uh, give up on them too soon. And um, But I think the dangers with a legacy are totally different in the fact that you can get yourself in trouble if you don't understand the dynamics of fire in hidden spaces, that you can get yourself into a lot of trouble when you start opening up, uh, especially if you don't have a lot of experience in these buildings, because things can change so rapidly. A, a building that has a minimum amount of smoke and heat, one wrong hook into the ceiling or one wrong axe into a wall and, and you're going to have uh, companies in trouble. So I, I, I kind of think that we've gotten safer on the modern end because we know the dangers, but you're right. The, the legacy, it presents a whole different amount of danger, but we still don't have enough. I think fire departments that understand them and, and quite, and, and that's why I, I feel terrible when you see a block of main street buildings uh, happens all the time, burning, burning to the ground. Right. So, and, and that's the thing is, um, I just did some some research, and you know, like, you know, according to the National Association of Certified Home Inspectors, a brick a brick building is designed to last a hundred years or more, and it depends on what you use as your reference. But it's one hundred to five hundred years is the general um, answer you get if you just do a little bit of research on the longevity of uh, a masonry brick structure. So you, you kind of cross-reference that with our country. The oldest brick building was about 1665. That's still around. So we're about 350 years right there. So we have enough to kind of look back on just as a data set to realize like, yeah, some of these, you know, buildings obviously last in that range. They're around like we can go and look at them today. But everyone just calls them like 100-year-old buildings. And what started to realize is like even the ones that we go to, they're, they're pushing 125 years now, you know? So like maybe they were taken care of for the first 100 years, but they've had 22 decades of neglect and additions. So that's, once you really start to put that in perspective, you're like, man, like the big risk that these buildings bring now that wasn't so much then is complexity and deterioration. So think about how many times that building's been rehabbed in the past 120 years and what's happened to that building after 2005 when maybe right. the it's now been vacant since 2005, which at when you first hear that, it doesn't seem like it's that long. But then you're like, holy cow, that's almost that's 20 years almost. So what happens to a brick building that's been fine for a century that now lays vacant for 20 years? I think the rate of deterioration massively progresses exponentially that we don't realize. Absolutely. And, and the thing that you, just take, for instance, anybody that's been in the fire service for, let's say 15 years or so, you know, in 2008, the economy took a, took a nosedive. Mm -hmm. And so let's say that you have, 
you know, even in these main streets, you had businesses that that haven't been replaced in these buildings. So even if you have a, a vacant building for 15 years in one of these, the big culprit, I think, is that we don't consider is weather. Yeah. yeah. That in the Midwest, we have all kinds of different weather patterns and freezing and thawing and rain. And that is what takes uh, a toll on, on on these buildings. That's what we have a problem with that I think that we forget about that is, is causing collapses uh, even without fire. So, yeah, you're right. We're talking buildings now. Another thing, too, that people have to consider is, you know, you go into a, a fire department that is an older, uh, protects an older legacy city or has an older downtown. Um, the, the biggest problem, I think, is that you have younger firefighters that may not be familiar with the area and they just see a building. And so that's why I'm committed, as you guys are, to, to keep telling them that they, they don't really have a sense of age or what, you know, looking at a building, how old it is or what it's going to take uh, to fight a fire in those buildings. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good point. So the, the younger generation doesn't even have the, the Rolodex like some people like to use for that, that experiential kind of fallback um, to, to, to really triage the situation. And all that's hugely visual, right? I mean, you don't need to be an architect to understand some of the stuff, but you do got to understand some of the stuff architecturally. And I know that's kind of confusing when I say that, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, and like you come, you come back to a good point is like, how, how do we do that? Right. The candles burning at both ends here. So we have, yeah. a, we have a massive amount of brain drain where all that knowledge is leaving the fire service. They didn't write anything down <laughs> before they left. And then, so now we have very young officers, very young you know, the, the younger generation is coming on the job with very little um, knowledge of this. I mean, they don't teach building instruction in school, uh, but that was something that I learned all on the job, you know? So like, how, how do we, how do we fix that? I think we're, we're all, I mean, we're part of the solution, right? Like, like this podcast is part of that solution to that problem. But I think you're going to start to see a much more timid posture in, in how we go about firefighting in the future in the next, yes. in the next 100 years you're going to see a lot more exterior operations, um, not because we're bad firemen, just because the experience isn't there to back up the posture and the capability. You know, you know what I mean? There's a certain breakover yeah. point to where you got to have the experience to, to back up the capability. Yes. And, and the other thing with that is, so let's picture, forget about a strip mall. Let's picture uh, a big box or, uh, or a modern type two building, uh, the very little exposure issues. Let's take a family dollar. All right. Something like that. It's all wide open. You're not thinking about fire getting into an exposure or crawling through, uh, a small hole or pocket. Uh, and so those are the buildings that firefighters today are, are in, or the other problem we have is that how many people actually go shopping today? You yeah. know, when I was coming yeah. up through the job, you would go to a store or a building and 
you would look at it. Uh, I'm talking on your off days to go buy something. True firefighters would be look. I would be looking and seeing the construction. Well, now if I want to buy something for my family, I just push a button on Amazon and it gets delivered just like everybody else. So we're also losing that that um, intimacy, I guess, of, of getting in buildings and, and really understanding them. So that's a big time problem too. Uh, and 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 so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not that that I think that this shouldn't come down to well firefighters are scared or, or whatever. No, that's not the case. We have a lot of great firefighters, a lot of good young firefighters in this country all over the place. It's just that I think we need to continue doing a better job educating them on construction and fire travel and how to cut a fire off uh, in a legacy building. And, and we, it gets too late. It becomes too late and then you got to know when to hit that sweet spot of getting in an exposure and, and that feeling of stopping the spread of fire is an excellent feeling. But I, unfortunately you see it every day where I think we just get you too late and we lose one, two, three buildings. Yeah. And I think the, the level of complexity in these buildings with the rehabs and the multiple um, added additions in the void spaces is outpacing like what you're alluding to, which is the experience of the environment of, of fighting the fire. So, I mean, we're having an issue of sense-making is really what you're, you're hitting on yeah. is it's really hard to orientate yourself, which is if you really want to get in like the OODA loop and stuff, like we, everyone understands the models. We've all been through the classes, but if you can't orientate, you can't make sense of your environment then you don't even know what play to throw to score the touchdown. What and how yeah. can you orientate yourself when every single building can be drastically different? It could be just as old as it was, you know, 50 years ago with the interior components. Yeah. It could be a mix of both. It could be completely gutted and all modern components on the inside. You know, like you can't that's not something you can tell unless you happen to catch them in the middle of the remodel. So and, and that's something that what I'm starting to see uh, the suburban fire culture or just not even that the, the modern fire service really fall into is when you have these cookie cutter homes from like the nineties, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the lightweight cookie cutter homes and, and that's the majority of your building stock. So everyone falls into this trap of, you know, they get used to these certain layouts, the same five or six layouts. And all of a sudden here comes the fire in, in one of these 100 plus year old buildings and the amount of complexity is a, a, infinite, infinitely enormous. Yeah. So, like, and, and that's where you're so off kilter there, even with the best pre-plans. You know, how many times do you walk in your main streets and it's different from the last time you walked it a year prior? So, it's, which yeah. does which doesn't happen when it's the cookie cutter suburban home. You know what I mean? Like that. Right. How, you just right. you can't do much with that building in in the Main Street building is it's like Mr. Potato Head of building instruction. You know, I mean, it, it's this match. The other thing that I I teach on that I um, I worry about, especially with social media is outstanding. I, I get it. And it's wonderful. But I think that younger firefighters get a false sense of, of the job with social media. And I'll give you a great example. Uh, you have 
outstanding fire officers from large cities that write and and discuss about, let's say, my favorite thing, okay, pulling ceilings or opening up walls in a legacy constructed building of lath and plaster or even a home residential lath and plaster. Mm. And if you haven't done it, it's kind of like handling a firefighter emergency or maydays. If you don't train on it, you can forget about it under smoke, heat, and stress. Same thing goes with, with opening up and trying to cut a roof that has five, six, seven layers of tar on it, opening up a tin ceiling. The larger departments with instructors that cut their teeth on this have tons and tons of experience. I think sometimes when they discuss it with the younger generation or from firefighters that are in uh, a department that maybe covers the smaller modern house and then has a downtown Main Street and they get a fire in one of these buildings, they, the commander thinks, okay, go in there and just start pulling ceilings and they have a two-man truck company. It ain't going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. And then the fire gets past you. Uh, and then you also see the opposite. A little bit of that, too, is that commanders do the right thing and they call for help. But then they're not sure on how to get that help in the right places right. to cut off that fire. And and I don't again, I don't mean to be critical. It's just that that is where you succeed is knowing that. And, you know, just because you've seen a video on, on using a, a, a cutoff saw on a uh, plywood platform in back of a station. Okay. That's great. But uh, how about you put, if the building's 120 years old and you roof every, let's say 30 years, um, you know, that's four layers of tar, right? Let's go cut through it. Good luck. Right. um, right. So, I mean like, and that's all just, that's all friction and, and adding to, 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 you know, just your time constraints so yes. when you so we'll throw in like modern, modern uh, like a modern podium type, you know one in one in three, or one in a like type five like three story kind of thing. Um, I'm just trying to, um, yeah. trying to come up with an analogy of like what like a a modern version of like a main street would be, and that's kind of what I'm picturing. So you you side by side that with the building you're talking about in the possibilities for the the newer stuff while it has the lighter weight components in it like beyond beyond that there there's not much complexity with that building you know i mean it's newer yeah. there hasn't been there's not a, there's not a rain roof on it like there's literally no chance of a rain roof right like there's no chance right. of of an yeah. added um exactly. a, like the, the whole yeah, layer exactly. of, of just problems can't even exist because they haven't had the time to exist. Well, and I've asked this question multiple times with the exception of while under construction, does anyone know of one of them that have been completely lost? They're usually room and contents, maybe a singular or multiple, multiple apartment, but has one of those buildings been lost? I can't think of one that I've seen. Maybe I've missed one on the news, but now the same isn't to be said about the main street buildings, right? Yeah. And, and you're right. We miss those. Um, you know, you're never going to be able to get in every building. 
as far as seeing what's being uh, built or constructed. I will say, though, that if you protect a, uh, let's say you, you protect a town of under 100,000 people or you have the main street, main, the, the main streets are shrinking in, you know, in our country. But when developers or people want to redesign or redo their downtowns like it's happening in mine, a fire chief must have a connection with your economic development director or whoever handles that in your community, because that's how you get what is happening in being able to know who's doing what in these buildings. And there's no excuse on that to, to not do that. Um, but, and that's how I think you find out if you're putting, you know, uh, let's say you've, I, I don't know of too many places where they've ripped out a floor, the supporting two by six, unless they're rotting and put in trusses. Have you guys seen that? I mean, oh, I yeah. haven't seen that. Man, right dude, that's that's the thing. Um, in the houses. In the houses, hurting. big time. Oh, yeah, houses, yeah. 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 Um, as far um, as commercial goes, there's one under rehab right now, and I'm not sure what they're what they're putting in. I'd have to, I, as far as like commercial goes, like taxpayer type stuff. Um, I don't have an answer for that, but definitely on the residential stuff. And that's what you, that is an absolute, uh, unknown. You, you can't know that unless you just remember the address and saw, and saw the rehab and put that in the CAD notes. Um, there's no way to know that. There's no way to know you're on lightweight interior components at all because the rest of the house is original. Even maybe the right. roof, every literally every piece of it is original except the floor. So um, very bad, right? Like I mean, it's just um, they're having a time out there and on the East Coast with that kind of stuff. DC, Baltimore, um, Philly, when they do these rehabs, they're having an issue with that kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, it, yeah, like, yeah, you, I, you I, up, yeah, you you're right. and, and you've seen. Yeah, you're you're correct on that. You've seen where we've had catastrophic failures of, um, of, of walls and floors in these, in these larger Northeast cities or Midwest cities where unfortunately firefighters have been injured and killed. You're, you're, you're correct on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think any of those, I don't have any that are like directly attributed to like a, a gut rehab, but, um, I mean, like it's to be seen, you know, it's definitely a problem that's out there. I guess it's, it hasn't been that widespread enough to, to really populate itself in, in the fire data that we have, you know, um, it was like, I have yet <clears throat> to get to go to a fire in one of those buildings that have been rehabbed. I've just obviously seen them being re, re redone. Right. So, um, I don't have any experience that, that I know of in one of those buildings. Well, cause the other thing too, is you think about these buildings have, they've been drywalled and yes, you know, for, what 20 years probably to at least 10 to 15 that drywall is going to hold a majority of the fire so even if there is a fire in those buildings it's not getting into those void spaces it's when those rehabs then start to get old then we may start seeing that problem outstanding a perfect point outstanding point lex you, when when we are redoing these buildings they are putting um you know drywall and some modern Fire, not everything that's modern is bad, 
Right. Okay, in the fire service, you actually you hit a great point. Uh, it's it's where we get into trouble is when they're rehabbing these older buildings, and maybe in the cocklofts or in the void spaces, they're creating more voids on top of voids. Uh, but then if they're using like the drywall, yeah, as long as they're not perforating that, it it, it does buy you some some time. Uh, yeah, excellent point. What I worry about, though, and, and I think we've done a better job with this, I think, in in our fire prevention and, and, and uh, those uh, activities of getting inspectors out, is that I don't know if you see as much uh, revitalizing where, let's say, they move a support structure, a column, or they do some illegal, I'm sure there's always illegal renovations, but yep. where they do something that can be catastrophic, like um, that we've seen in the past in, in New York or Boston where, you know, a column being removed has led to a, a major catastrophe under a fire. Right. And, uh, and, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's in the older buildings, the longer a building exists, the more likely those things happen to it. So someone needs to realize um, when you're taking a, a hazard analysis of your of your town or your city or your municipality, I would start with what's the oldest buildings first. That's going to inherently be the, that's going to inherently have the most complexity. And that's where I'm going to start my, my hazard. You know, that's going to be the buildings I need to be in the most, right? Let's, I mean, how do you combat complexity, combat complexity with simplicity? So you make it easy. Like you, you, you get in the buildings as much as you can, because those are the ones that are changing the most and have the most changes in them. And then you kind right. of work your way from there. But to, to go back to your one point, as far as the modern stuff, bringing um, modern benefits to the table in older buildings, it is kind of give and take for, yeah, you're right. We, we lose some robustness on, on the, the back end with the lighter weight flooring and stuff like that. But then with, we also get some with the drywall and I, that's been my experience when, when there is drywall, um, it, it holds fire amazing amazingly yes um effectively more more so than plaster in my experience just because well the plaster that's around is obviously old so there's going to be um deterioration so there's gonna be holes and the drywall just isn't you know drywall holds up much much more but everyone knows once it gets behind the drywall then it's it's game on but um and, and that's anything that's tin ceiling in, in whatever covering but um and that's another thing too is when they when they put drywall over the existing coverings, that's just another layer. But uh, but then there's a flip end to that to where once it gets behind that, now you're pulling twice or three times the work, right? Right. Um, so so yeah, everything almost has like a like a pro and a con to it. But I've had nothing but good experiences with with the the um, passive fire protection in the form of like you know the drywall in the older buildings. And we're fortunate for a quick response time in, in the places that get the most value out of that kind of stuff are going to be the places with the quick response times. Um, if you have a very quick response time and you're, you have a high company saturation or um, you ha- you're running fully staffed rigs, you know, showing on, showing up on scene with the manpower, you're going to, you're going to see your lighter weights construction, not pose as much of a threat because I mean, it's, it's really time, time, time under exposure is really the biggest threat with, with the with the modern stuff, with the lighter weight stuff, so yeah, yeah I I would agree. I, I wanna I guess I wanna throw one little thing out that was 
part to me that I share with young officers and, and, and younger firefighters is if the bell rings in the middle of the night for a fire in a commercial building, automatically while you're putting your gear on or going to the call, assume that it's been cooking for a while. You just have to. And that, and the other point uh, that I, I think is in today's fire service, part-time volunteer, um, those services are, are struggling to find people. And they're not showing up with the same type of manpower uh, that they did 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so it is imperative that commanders in smaller cities and part-time volunteer departments, I think, start thinking upon arrival how to cut the fire off instead of putting your resources to the fire. And I guess what I mean by that is take a main street building where you have apartments above a commercial and you have fires showing. Okay, let's say we have a, a bedroom fire or a kitchen fire in one of those apartments. Yes, you can go get that fire, but you better be thinking more so how to utilize your manpower to cut that fire off. And I think that's where we sometimes, by the time you stretch, get up the steps, do all those things, the fire is either in the cockloft or maybe even next door. So those are little things that I want to try to share um, with with those that are struggling. And I, yeah, I mean, larger departments, they can throw a lot of bodies at it. My department, I pull up on my main street with 15 people and my ICs have better now, better understand that we got to start thinking about, yeah, I can lay a line and attack the fire, but my next two lines better be thinking about cutting off this fire, or getting in the exposure. Right. And I think that goes into Honestly, that goes into to, um, how you design your rigs. Where's your deck gun at? How fast can that deck yeah. gun be deployed with one person while at the same time not compromising your entire booster tank of water? You, you know what I right. mean? Um, right. And, and that's something that, I mean, that's, like you said, that's a force multiplier. How many, how many people does it take to deploy a deck gun on target? You know, I mean, if it takes more than one, well, I, I would say you're not, that's a diminishing return on that design. You know, if you have to wait for some electronic deck gun to aim itself and get all oriented before you can, and you don't know where it's pointing and, and you can't see that, you know, or does it take someone to hop up on a step, turn, turn a gate valve and, and they're good to go. And they got, they got water on the target. They got 200 gallons of water right through a window. So now that saves, saves, I just bought time, you know, Yeah. with one I, person. So now the other 14 yeah, people, exactly. on, yeah, the other and 14 people on scene, water supply. Yeah. Sure. On your main street. And, so let's, right. you know, a legacy block, you're going to have hydrants, I would assume. You would assume, um, right. So, but I mean, once again, once again, though, like, let's, how about like once, once again, what do you, what water are you bringing to the scene? Are you, are you right. running, are you running quince with 300 gallons of water? Well, well, that's not going to work out well for your, for your deck on play, right? Um, right. Are, are you running 750s? That's going to work out a little better for you while, while you make the plug. And then, and then what are we stretching in? In Main Street, are we lunking a five inch or are we stretching a three inch? You know, like all options. Right. I mean, like those are all things that should be talked about. If you really want to save on manpower, then don't do things that require manpower that you don't have to do. <laughs> you know, or at least, yeah. or at least you could do things like 
you know, stretch the three inch. And then when you have mutual aid companies come in, you know, maybe they can grab another five hydrant with five inch if you want that more water supply. Right. But like making quick decisions with your 15 people until more arrive on scene. I mean, it's as simple as just laying in. If you, if you only have five inch, then instead of trying to drag that a different or, or even four inch, you know, right. so there's so many options. Like someone really needs to break that down and go, here's, here's all of our options. What are the least laborious options? And how many people does it really take to do these tasks? So like what you're saying, if you have a middle of the row exposure, um, that's going to require multiple lines off right now and roof work on a, a leeward side and a windward side, both on top and underneath, pulling and cutting, right? So how many, like now think about how many, how many people does it take to pull ceiling? At least a crew of two. How many people does it take the ladder and do roof ops? At least a crew of two. So there's four times two, that's eight. Right. And that's right. That's just the exposures. That's not the, the building of. So like all this stuff should be very easily th- thought out beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one of the biggest uh, today's modern age, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, technology aids is that. Every city in America should have a training day to where, you know, I, uh, you know, where you or smaller departments, part-time volunteers should have a training night where you find somebody with a drone. Drones are everywhere. You do what you got to do to get your permissions or, or a lot of police departments and law enforcement agencies have drones. Get with them and put the drone over your main street. And, and get recon that way. Um, another thing that I find that the departments may not, you may not be able to cut a roof quick enough because you just don't do it or you not realize how thick the tar is, but you can get up there and there's other vents up there that can get you some good ventilation up on a main street roof, skylights, right. hatches, all those things. But it, it, there's no excuse anymore. Every firefighter that is probably 25 years old or younger knows somebody with a drone or the ability to look above at something. And that is the best way yeah. to get eyes on your downtown or Main Street or legacy buildings, whatever you want to call them. I mean, it's not easy or it's not, it's not hard to see the uh, the, the pattern, the win-loss uh, decisive factor in, in these building fires is the top floor fire strategy. The the, the common right. the common cock loft or attic space is is the is where you win or lose. And you said it spot on. And we see it all over the country. Everywhere we go when we do these classes, you show up and they don't even have a wood blade. They don't have. No. It's not that they aren't familiar with cutting roofs. They don't have anything to literally cut. The roof and a basic understanding of what the roof is. And unfortunately, that's a conversation you have to keep having. I've had the same conversation explaining the difference between legacy ceiling components, the void space of the clock loft and the legacy roof components multiple times with the same people. And there's still a misunderstanding. So and and that's the thing is you you really started to kind of uh, hit in on, on a workaround, right? Okay, if you're not cool with cutting roofs, then what can we do to still ventilate without cutting a roof? All right, well, the pre existing opening, right? Skylights, scuttles, you know, uh, roof monitors, 
of, you know, vent stacks and so forth. And then, so then what do we do about extinguishment of a cockloft fire? Well, we don't like, we can't, we can't pull it from below because there's tin ceiling and they've never experienced tin ceiling plus or 10 foot, 10 foot tin ceilings, like wire mesh. Wi- wire mesh. Here's, here's the other one. So, all right, that's going to, we don't want to put guys under that. They're not comfortable with that for whatever reason. So how about we bring back the cockloft nozzle? What about a Bresner distributor nozzle? Like there's things we already Absolutely. know how to do. Why aren't we fighting a cockloft fire? How we fight a basement fire, you know, um, like there's, it all works the same, you know, I mean, it's, it's essentially the same tactic. You're trying to fight it from above, but you don't have access from below for whatever reason. And that's something that I think everyone can get on board with, you know, and it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot of manpower and you're essentially in a more safer posture. So absolutely. Those, those tools, another night, that should be another drill night utilizing or looking at these cockloft nozzles that are relatively cheap. Now Uh, you can get a double, uh, call it a, a void space or cockloft nozzle like FDNY mm-hmm. uses for about $1,700 uh, that just goes on the end of an inch and a half um, connection, male connection mm-hmm. with a shut off and you're good to go. Sure. Or the good old distributor or, yeah. or uh, seller nozzle. Yep. Uh, it, 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 you can cut a hole in a roof and drop that down. And you don't need cut a very big no and that's the thing right like you don't need to even know anything about ventilation just a a triangle cut big enough to fit this yes through there absolutely and the the other thing that i want to hit on before we wrap things up is this we live in a and and i am all about it i absolutely love um you know what instructors bring to the table as far as saying throwaway buildings you know a fast food a taco bell or whatever you want to call it uh is a throwaway building today's modern building that's going up there's we all know these buildings yes they're throwaway buildings you cannot and this is just how i feel you cannot take that throwaway philosophy though to a main street building uh, because if you do, you're going to lose a block. Yeah. And the legacy building is the is the building that's left that is still why we uphold our oaths of protecting property. Sure. And I always say this, if you lose a fast food joint in your town or dollar store, Nobody is going to say one word because they're going to rebuild it in a month or two. You lose a stretch or a building of 120, 130 year old building in your town. People are going to come there and cry on the sidewalk or, or come to rehash memories or go to a Facebook page of whatever vintage XYZ township. And, and they're going to talk about it. And what a shame it is. You save that building, you just bought yourself a whole lot of respect and admiration from your citizens. And in the end, as a chief, I can tell you, that goes a long way for years. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you hit you hit a home run with all that. The value of these buildings are, are higher on that property conservation scale. I mean, everyone saw, yeah. everyone saw in real time with the cathedral – uh, Notre Dame in, in Paris, 
right? I mean, yeah. every, everyone saw what they were willing to risk for property. So absolutely, that is some that's that's a good analogy. That if anyone has trouble, you know, processing everything you just said there, I would show them how that fire worked out and what they did to make that successful. Yeah, absolutely, and and you guys, we have talked about this, but a couple of years ago, we lost one of the largest buildings, legacy buildings in my town, in my downtown, in a 10-foot alley. Less than a, I want to say it's probably 10, 10 feet, 15-foot narrow alley separated this block-long old mill building to a uh, another stretch of block downtown buildings that I'm proud to say we saved that night that they are revitalizing our downtown. And that is the main like showpiece centerpiece of the rehab going on in my downtown is the building that we saved. Yeah. And that's I like how many people quantify the save, right? Everyone wants to talk about losses in, right. in, in that perspective, but no one does or not many do what you're talking about, which is quantifying the value and not only what you saved, look what it's going to bring in. Look at the future revenue. Yes. So, yes. I mean, that that is so, and I think um, Vincent Dunn might be the only one who's always consistently written on. That's one of the biggest reasons to be aggressive on the front end is you save all that and get that benefit on the back end if you save that building. Yes. So. Yes, absolutely. And we lost the old mill building, but it was vacant and it was wide open and we, we, and we had very limited access to it. We knew a fire and it would be, would be difficult. Uh, we focused our concentration on saving the blocks separated by that 10 foot alley. And here it is going to be, it's being rehabbed right now, this entire block of buildings that dates back to the 1870s in my town, 1880s. And um, it, they're revitalizing it. And it's going to be the starship of a, of a new downtown. So every time I pass it, I, I think this is great. And one of these days I'm going to write about it to show that as an example, um, the value of the save. Well, I think that just shows what a little bit of effort, and I know you did more than a little bit of effort and your department, but even just a little bit of effort of understanding your buildings, knowing your downtown, constantly yep. keeping an eye on it, that shows what you can achieve. Like, it's not just, we're not just telling you to do it just because we're telling you to do it. You know, this is a perfect example of why. So Yes, absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Um, I, we, again, we appreciate your time, Chief, and your input and your experience is always, you know, beneficial to us. I know we learn from the discussions, and so hopefully others will as well. And uh, Yeah, no, thank you for your time and your insight, Chief. It's uh, I, I mean, this conversation could definitely go on for much longer. Maybe we can hit on a second part of it sometime or uh, hash out an article out of it. But, um, yeah, keep on keeping. Uh, absolutely. Finally, I want to say everybody listen to this. Make it a point to take some time to focus on the brain aspect of firefighting. And we are really all into stretching hose lines and, and doing all the hands-on. Take one month out of your time and do some brain on to where you're thinking about tactics and, and how to attack a fire uh, instead of always thinking about these hands-on classes. They're great, but you also have to remember you got to think of your brain 
and outthinking and outflanking those fires. Hundred percent. I mean, one of one of people's favorite classes to take is nozzle forward, and you know where he starts. Both days are in the classroom because you got to know why yeah. before you go out and just put your hands on it and do it. You got to know what you're doing first. So absolutely. Well, thank you again, Chief. Again, we appreciate it. Stay safe. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Main Street Firefighting, a podcast by Fire Engineering. As always, if you have a fire you'd like to discuss or a topic you'd like to know more about, please reach out. Until then, stay safe and have a good night. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com.